This is no small part. No small part. No small part. This is no small parts. I am Brittany Brewer. Thank you so much for agreeing to talk with me today. Yeah, sure. This is Aaron Washburn. Uh, what are you drinking right now? Uh, it's a vodka soda, but with some cucumber, mint, Thai basil, and lime. I was going to say that looks so, so refreshing. <laughs> it is nice. It, it's, it's, uh, I, I'm lucky enough to have, I have a, I have a hydroponic herb garden in our house. Um, so it felt like fresh herbs. It feels very fancy. She is a dramaturg and producer with a passion for new plays working out of Philadelphia. <laughs> that is so cool. Oh. That How about you? So what are you cool. drinking? I am drinking um, a cider, a cherry pie cider, which is Stone and Key, which is in the suburbs, but it's oh. like lightly sweet. It could be a, a brunchy, boozy drink if if it was warranted. It's like that kind of. Sounds like a very picnicky sort of drink. Like you're like like it's like Fourth of July, hyper American. Have a little cherry pie cider. Yeah. On today's episode of No Small Parts, Erin talks about the importance of logistics, her commitment to serving the playwright's goals as a producer of new work, and how humanizing the process of producing can be. Cheers. Oh my gosh. Um, so tell me about uh, how you, what, what your gateway was into theater. Sure. Um, so like most people, not it's unfair to say most, but like Many of the people that I know, uh, I got into it through acting because I desperately crave attention. Um, so um, it wasn't really until college that I was like, wait, like, for for a long time, um, I was like, ah, well, I'll never do theater as a career because the only things you can do are acting or backstage. And I don't, do, and I, and I don't want to do those things. Uh, but then in college, it was like, oh, how explicit can I be? I curse a lot. So oh, you can okay. be. Yeah, yeah that's great, fine. great, great. Uh, so it wasn't until college that I was like, oh shit, like there's actually like a whole world of theater out there. Yeah. Um, so in college is when I discover, is when I like really discovered dramaturgy. It's when I started like collaborating with my peers to like produce uh, either student productions or like pop up events. Uh, and then that just kind of spiraled from there. And now I'm an arts admin. So <laughs> you, you made it, kid. I was going to say you found your way. This is it. <laughs> oh my gosh. Tell me about your experience producing as a student. Yeah, so um, we were doing this, my friend at the time um, was producing uh, Assassins, I don't know if you know that show, um, and like, at first I was just like, oh, that's good for you, good for you, buddy, but I was in this like dead-end um, summer internship where they were basically like, oh, did you Google that one thing? Well, you're done for the day, but still sit here, so we just spend the day like, oh, wow, did you know that like John Wilkes Booth did all this weird shit? And so at a certain point, he was like, oh, you're being a dramaturg right now, will you be my dramaturg on the project? And I was like, oh, yeah, I fucking will, let's do it, man! And so then it spiraled from there that is so so cool mm -hmm. i feel like dramaturgy was something i didn't realize existed for way too long yeah i mean i still feel like i don't know what it is <laughs> even though i'm doing it like i feel like it's often just like all right am i like being a chill human being right now and like do i know how to like google things and talk to people a plus i did it dramaturgy <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, do you ever feel like you're, like, dramaturging a project and you're like, I have no fucking idea what I'm doing, but something's happening, so killing it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yep. <laughs> um, 
that. That yeah. exactly. <laughs> when did you realize that producing was a thing? It sounds like also sometime in college. Yeah. So um, I mean, when I. As is the, tr- the case with many like uh, s- student-run things, like you're one thing, but actually you're everything. And so, like when I signed on to that project, we also ended up kind of like co-producing it in a way. So, like that was like a so we were like it was the first. I went to Bryn Mawr, which is in a consortium with um, Harvard and Swarthmore. Um, so it was like the first, like the first tri-college sort of student-run project that had been done in a while. And so like a lot of our work was like coordinating rehearsal spaces and like trying to get funding from all three schools and stuff like that. And so I didn't think of it as producing at the time because it's college. So you're just like, I'm putting on a project. But looking back, it's like, oh shit, that was like a giant, that was a giant endeavor that we did um, that ended up being producing. Um, and it wasn't really until my, uh, my apprenticeship when I met Maura Krauss at Interact um, and later, like, latched onto her like a lamprey to become the producing associate for Orbiter 3 that I was like, oh, wait, this is producing. Yeah. Interact Theatre Company is a small regional theatre company in Philadelphia that focuses on new plays. Currently, Erin is the literary and patron services manager at Interact, though she was first employed there as an Interact apprentice. If you are interested in hearing more about the Interact apprenticeship, keep an eye out for the No Small Parts episodes with Maura Krauss and Kat Ramirez. Orbiter 3 is a collective of producing playwrights out of Philadelphia that operated from 2014 to 2018, inspired in part by the Playwrights Collective 13P. Both Mora and Kat's episodes of No Small Parts speak more to Orbiter 3. Uh, that's also so, so cool. I fan <laughs> over Orbiter 3 so hard. Low-key, like, when I first started working with them, I was like, I don't belong here. Like, you're all so cool and amazing. Like, (laughs) yeah, yeah. (laughs) And then you're like, oh, the weirdest thing about theater, I think, is that, like, you admire people from afar for so long, and then you work with them, and you're like, oh, wait, you're just, like, a weird human being as well. Hold on. Wait, you were on a pedestal, and now you're, like, a person, and I don't know how to, like, calibrate that. Oh, my gosh. Uh that really is so true about like college level air quotes producing though and like you're so often doing all these things and you don't realize until so much later that you were that you were producing the whole time yeah that you were just like oh i'm doing the thing because mm-hmm. to you like I, I think the framework is so like oh this is a group project instead of like this is like a production you know mm-hmm. especially when there's those tears in college of like um of like student run versus like departments versus yeah in terms of like organizing or whatever you sort of thought of it was then like producing were you was that mostly student run work that's usually how that comes about right all the yeah. producing yeah i mean that particular project was project i can say now because i'm an, i'm an, i'm a grown up um that particular <laughs> that particular project was entirely student driven like it was just independent like there was no club or anything associated with it um in my senior year i was the producer although at the time it was just called director like i was the producer for the annual like vagina monologues like uh benefit per- performance so in addition to the artistic side of like casting and what and directing it i also was again in charge of securing partnerships and donations and the rehearsal space and all this other stuff so like again there was like a pro- i mean and that was also shared with someone who did more of that producing work where i, I was just like directing well i was more directing but like yeah it's like you don't quite realize exactly like, oh, no, this is like something that someone would pay me money for later, like instead of me and my group project. I feel like I should have asked this earlier. Did you go to school specifically for theater? 
No, um, initially I was um, I was an English major at Bryn Mawr, which doesn't have like a formal theater major. You have to like build your own. It's an independent study. But like my th- my English major was such that I basically majored in theater. Like I just like was like I'm gonna take every class that reads plays and go from there. You know. Yep. Yep. So what was your producing trajectory from school to after school after you graduated were you uh, yeah let's start there what kind of work were you doing did, yeah. did you move straight to philly yes so immediately after graduating i was an apprentice with interact theater company where i work now uh the system works kids you know for <laughs> a few people um <laughs> And there is where I uh, met Maura Krauss, who was the producer in residence at the time. And I also had my cohort of apprentices who, um, at the time, Interact did a high school monologue festival with um, with PYP. Uh, and the apprentices of PYP and Interact would actually get together to do a middle school monologue festival, so to produce the same thing. Here, PYP refers to Philadelphia young playwrights. For more on PYP, listen to Ange Bay's episode of No Small Parts. Ange is a PYP alum. So we did that, and that experience, coupled with college, coupled with wanting to follow more across everywhere, wherever she went, led to me getting connected with Orbiter 3. And it was really through Orbiter 3 that I, like was like oh this is what producing is like both because like the model was such that like everyone played a hand in producing while centering the playwright but also that like it was the first time anything like this had happened in philadelphia and so more like needed some like someone to help her to be that administrative scaffolding so that the playwrights could straddle artistic and administrative someone so and that person became me um so that's how i really got into producing prop like big grown-up producing What were some valuable takeaways from the Interact apprenticeship, especially in terms of being able to produce now on the other side? Well, the Interact apprenticeship is really general. So um, it's you do a little bit of everything. Um, And that, I think, is like the single greatest thing that it that it imbued me with, because like particularly as someone that focuses on new work and whose work has been pretty much exclusively new plays, with the exception of like like one project with Shakespeare and Clark Park, like um, new new play companies tend to be a lot smaller. And so like when you work with uh, a new play group, you need to be able to do whatever is needed. And so like having a little bit of like knowledge about like everything from group sales and community outreach to like fundraising to like just simple like just running front of house like that made me a sort of utility knife um that i so that i could kind of slide in wherever was needed and fill in the gaps of what like had to be done um in addition it also is like your greatest resource i think is is your peers the people that you're coming up with like the people that you work with now are your contemporaries right and so like as you progress in your career they're the people that are going to be the people in power along with you and so like building those relationships you're building that scaffolding of support in those relationships that will translate to what the future of theater is when everyone's an amazing artistic director or or a producer or managing director so (laughs) (laughs) as you live and work now how much how can I can I phrase this better question? Do you still produce? (laughs) (laughs) Words. Yeah. Um, Like what are what sort of your artist percentages? How much are you like dramaturging and producing or adminning and or other? Yeah I mean I think it's 
So I think one of the things that can be um, tricky about being in admin is being like, ah, well, this means I'm not an artist. Mm -hmm. Like, um, it's the thing that can create a lot of division between like freelance artists and people that work in admin is like, oh, well, you don't get my process or like I'm undervalued, that sort of thing. So I like to think of my arts admin as as artistry because like as I'm uh, coordinating whether I'm like working in arts admin, like courting the box office at Interact or like doing group sales, doing uh, grant writing, whether I'm doing literary management or dramaturgical research, whether I'm like pr like working with core playwrights and producing the reading series, all of that is inherently artistry because it's connected to how Interact produces art. So like in that way, I'm an arts administrator, but that means that I'm an artist. Um, so yeah, that's what that's how I would kind of maybe somewhat defensively answer that question. <laughs> I, um, I love that so much, though, as a fellow arts administrator. <laughs> yeah, well, I do think that it is like, um, you know, no, I'm not in rehearsal every day. Um, and like, you know, the projects that I produce are more seasonal, but I work at a theater that produces art and I'm integral to producing that art. And therefore, I'm an artist. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. so were you, Brittany Brewer. <laughs> I'm trying so hard. Gosh, golly gee, Willikers! <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, uh. because I, I think too, like, because every part of um, arts admin is part of the theatrical experience, like, one of the things that I think people underestimate is, like, the minute a patron shows up at your thing, they are having the, the theatrical experience. And so like every part of it is dramaturgical, like everything you've laid out is both logistical, producerial, administrative and dramaturgical to create the whole experience. That is so true. That is so true. And it's so interesting how much administration does go into art and is producing, which it's, is its own art, question mm -hmm. mark? Yeah, I mean, definitely. Um, it's creative problem solving. That's what art is. As you have talked to folks about producing, how do you describe what it is you do when you are producing a project? Uh, when I'm being flippant, I'm like, I make sure that the money's where it needs to be. Um, <laughs> but I mean, I think it's actually quite similar to being a dramaturg in that like you're the you're the productions, like you're on the production side. So you're taking the bird's eye view into all the moving parts of what's going into the production. And you're trying to say, okay, like what's the gap here? Where's the friction? Like what's working and how can we like move this forward to where it needs to go? Um, you're also a little bit everyone's therapist. Like, um, like you're on the production side, which means you're both on everyone's side, but also means that you have to be that person that's like, let's think rationally about this. Um, yeah. Yes. Uh, so you went, so you finished the apprenticeship, you helped produce the monologue festival. So um, you went from the apprenticeship straight into Orbiter 3 world? I mean, Orbiter 3 started um, like a year-ish later. Like, well, six months later, I think, is when they announced that they were launching and then their first production was July of 2015. So, um shortly after they started is when I was like, Maura, please let me know how I can help. And she was like, well, actually, um, so between that time I was just doing like, uh, I was doing small freelance dramaturgy gigs and like, um, slinging, slinging green energy for Green Mountain. Uh, and then working like 
box office for PTC and for the National Museum of American Jewish History. When Orbiter 3 started is when I really started latching into producing. Um, shortly after working with Orbiter 3, I was hired part-time back at Interact again, where I was I got my fingers back into producing like some smaller community engagement events, but and which eventually graduated to me becoming full-time producing uh, core playwrights. That's awesome. Would you? Gee, thanks. <laughs> it's so cool, though. <laughs> like all the different facets of the things that you've dug into while I interact as I've creeped on different <laughs> internet based. It's, it's so funny because we've like emailed so much about like this like one aspect of my job, yes. and it's like ah yes, this is uh, the flowers blooming of our relationship. <laughs> Oh my gosh! Yeah, and I'm always I'm when I when I send those emails, I was always in a very different mindset too. I was like, Oh yeah, I, I will get field trips for students. They will be exciting new plays. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Um, would you talk about one or two of your most memorable experiences producing readings? Yeah. So the first one that comes to mind is uh, at the end of. 2018, uh, the end of our season, we had to cancel production. Um, it was a one-person show that was where the player it was the performer, and the player it was like actually like if I do the show, it's gonna be I'm like not emotionally able to do it anymore, and so we canceled it. Uh, and instead, we mounted a month-long festival called Junapalooza, which was 21 individual events by different companies, everything ranging from like interacted a reading of a play that we were gonna produce this month that we'll now be doing next year. Uh, we hosted um, a couple of events by our community partners. Warrior Writers did like a poetry reading night. Um, uh, Power Street uh, Theater in the X, a bunch of other people like did pop-up events. Um, and so I was the coordinator of both like being like, hello, we have space. Do you want to do something? In addition to like making sure people had what they needed on those days, marketing the events and like trying to make it an umbrella thing as opposed to just like a weird random assortment of events. Um, so that was that was fascinating because instead of doing one show over the course of that month, we ended up doing like 21 show, 21 individual shows uh, in a way, even though they weren't productions, they were like, each one of them had their own needs and their own marketing and their own like way that they wanted to approach. Yeah, so that was definitely memorable. That sounds like a, a massive undertaking. It was. It was awesome. I mean, like, I'm really glad that we did it. It happens so rarely that we're able to because, like, at the Drake, in addition to having our own season, we share with, like, uh, with other companies and we have renters. So there's very rarely, like, just, like, free time. And so in a way, it was kind of a gift to be like, we have this thing and now, like, we can use it as a resource for other people to, like, showcase what they're working on or to, like, test something out. So, um... I was like very, I was very tired that month, but I was very pleased that we were able to do it. Um, so yeah, that was definitely one. I remember there was for um, one event, like I, it was a it was a, a community event, and I'd been talking with our partner, and I was like, okay, do you need anything? And they were like, oh no, we're good, we got this. Um, and it was the time of their event, and they hadn't showed up yet. And like we had a couple people, and I was just like, oh my god, what happened? Um, but they they had just had a miscommunication about who was showing up when. So, like, it ended up going way longer than we thought it was going to. But everyone had an amazing time. And, like, we were able to, like, uh, to to give to give them a space that they, like, just wouldn't have had before. So, yeah. That um, was neat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
If Junapalooza is interesting to you, Hunter Robinson talks about producing a play festival while being a student at Temple University in Philadelphia in the first episode of No Small Parts. Uh, and then obviously I do the last year's core playwrights readings were um, kind of special for me just because uh, this past cohort of core playwrights was the first one that I'd mostly run on my own. Interact Theater's core playwrights program offers two years of dedicated administrative and dramaturgical support to local playwrights as they continue to develop and write plays. Since our artistic associate Kits and O'Neill left in 2018, so last year was their like culminating uh, reading series, um, and you know there's always each each playwright. Um, approaches the readings a different way because each of them like is at a different stage in their work um whether it's someone like um like Elle who had a play that she commissioned that she was like um that she did a workshop that she did like a brief workshop of and like only pre and presented like um before going into a longer workshop with her commissioning company or someone like Hagen Brace Walker who like didn't really have a full draft until like the day of the reading and then they did like a quick and dirty rehearsal so there's like everyone had like a lot of different um, approaches but in addition to that we weren't in our usual space we were in the Bloover which we were sharing with Simpatico that was running a show in the Bloover at the time so there was that additional logistical element of like how do I respect my my partner how do I my partner being Simpatico mm -hmm. um, how do I like make sure the playwrights have what they need like how do I make sure all this is communicated effectively to our audiences who may be expecting to be in a different place um, and at the end of the day it was just a fabulous weekend like it was a more intimate space so it felt more full and vibrant like Simpatico was so generous with us and I was really just like honored and proud to have like been able to to set this up for, for each of them. I think, I mean, I hope they got a lot out of it. What does the, um, and this feels like a bigger question than it is, what does the planning process for those readings look like? And is there a certain point where it really just like it kicks and you're spending almost all of your time on those? Yeah, so we tr I try to start those um, like a couple months out where I'm like, what are you gonna do for it? Like, what's the play? Um, and what director are you interested in? So I try to give, I try to start that at least a couple months out so they have a lot of time to think about it. Um, once it gets to like six weeks out is when I want to be reaching out to actors. And once I start reaching out to actors, then it's like, go. Um, it's not like the week of is when I'm spending all my time at it because people are in rehearsal, they have pages. During new play development processes, playwrights are writing and rewriting so quickly, requiring new pages to be dispersed and redispersed to the artistic team frequently. Like suddenly everyone has conflicts, there's marketing things that need to get done, that sort of thing. Um, but once you start reaching out to actors is when you start dealing with logistical questions, like particularly when you're rehearsing at a space like the Drake, when at any given time there's like very little space free. So, um, the, so like four to six weeks out is when it's like, okay, a lot of my attention is going to this project, particularly, um, like for this past year, it was their final one. So I was trying to like make it a little more of an industry event and do like personalized invitations and trying to like boost it that way. So yeah. Do the goals look different play to play or overall are the goals fairly similar from a producer perspective? From a producer perspective, um, my goal is I mean, my overarching goal is to make sure the playwright has what they need. Um, the hope is that the, these readings typically are like a showcase type thing. Um, obviously that changes if the playwright is like, actually my thing is super raw. And then like my job is to contextualize that for the audience. But like the readings are for the playwright. And so my job as a producer for all of them is like, is the playwright getting what they need out of this reading? Um, otherwise it's a vanity project. Like 
why would I be doing it? Um, yeah. And so, like, what goes into that is like, okay, what are the play? What's the player hoping to get out of this play? What are they hope? What are they looking for from this reading from an audience? And how do I like build expectations for that? And you do that through marketing. You do that through front of house. You do that up through the very up through the curtain speech where you're like, all right, here's what you're gonna expect. Like, uh, buckle up, Buttercup. You know. <laughs> <laughs> how long is the rehearsal process for these pieces? It's uh, it's no, it's like eight hours ish, yeah. So it's a very short, um, because it's like, uh, you know, for many reasons, um, it's a short rehearsal. So it really is just like you read it, and then like, is the playwright getting what they need out of it during that? Is the actor like bringing it? Do they need to be any revisions? Let's do a little bit of staging and go. Have you, um, in your career so far of producing, especially related to readings, have you had any? Uh, unexpected challenges come up? Uh, well, the space transition was a tough one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but the um, another one that comes to mind is we, I mean, the biggest thing that can happen is just when cast, like casting can be really hard, like because incredible people are always really busy. Um, not to be like the people that get cast on readings aren't good, but like what you're trying to find, like, um, someone who's right for a particular role, um, that can be really difficult. So there was one time when we cast someone and then like two days before rehearsal, they dropped out and it was just like, it took a long time to find that person. And so then it was like, oh God, like, how are we going to do it? But it all worked out. <laughs> we found someone, it was fine. <laughs> out of curiosity, do you, I imagine so. I'm, I imagine you interface with the apprentices quite a bit at, mm -hmm. as like a smaller company too. Um, I'm just really interested what it's like to be on the other side as the apprentices go about producing a showcase and sort of what you've noticed being on both sides, um, the unexpected things or that come up mm -hmm. that you're able to warn them about on the back end. Yeah, I think the biggest ones the, our apprentices do not like nobody lacks for ideas of something to do like everyone's like we could write this play we could like do an improv show we could do like everyone has ideas for what to do the things that i think um take a little bit of honing and skill like as producers is thinking of detail work like okay do you want to do a cabaret are you going to do live music does that mean you need microphones does that mean you need a keyboard does that mean you need someone to run sound like what do you like the kind of like logistical needs of that um or like okay you're going to do marketing for this event um how are you going to broadcast it like do you want to charge for a ticket price like how do you want what's the language you want to use what social what like platforms are you going to use that sort of thing um, the actual making of the piece, in a way, is easy. It's all of the logistical details that people are like, oh, wait, yeah, that's what producing it. Um, for our young artists who might hear this, who are interested in producing either readings or staged readings, um, what would be a few things you recommend that they focus in on for their first go at it? That is a good question. Um, transparency and communication, I think, is key. Um, if you think you're sending too many emails, like, you probably aren't. And if someone thinks so, it's always better to have sent too many than to have sent not enough. If for no other reason, then you can be like, well, I sent the email that told you this information, so if you don't have it, that's on you. <laughs> um, but like, yeah, just like, um, so when I'm training people for box office, something I say is like, you want to go over the whole of every detail, like, you're 
this many tickets at this time. The total is this much per ticket, which means you're paying this much. It's a final sale. Here's our policy. Can I run your card? So you know that you hit all of those details. And that's the way that I like approach communication is like, here's all of the individual things like in this place so that you can find it. Um, so honing your ability to like um, talk, to, to communicate clearly, but also comprehensively. Um, I would also work on adaptability. Things do not go to plan a lot of the time because you're working with a bunch of people. And as we all, all know from group projects, everyone brings their individual personalities and their individual like uh, needs. And so like you may think something's gonna go a certain way, but then like someone wasn't able to read the script in advance. And so like they're coming in differently than everyone else. And you have to like maybe manage some emotions with the director on that. Or like you, someone's not getting either bio in time. And so like you have to send like 12 million emails or go before you go or go up to them in person and say like, hello, um, you need to give me this thing or I'll write it for you. Um, and everyone has communication differences. So like, even though I'm, I was, I just said like write a bunch of emails. There may be someone who does not respond to email; they only respond to text. And so, if that's the case, you need to be able to be adaptable and like text that person if you need them, and not expect them to adhere to what you are doing. Um, especially for something that's like a shorter gig. Like if it's like not a weeks long process, um, but it's like a shorter thing, and you just need it to be done efficiently. Like learning what people, how people communicate, is the is going to serve you well in the long run. Um, backtracking a little bit, um, you've worked on a few of the sharings for the core playwrights. What have you learned as as years go by and you keep learning on it? Learning on it, help me. Working <laughs> on it. <laughs> well, that, cider, that cider's really kicking in, huh? It's hitting me. I think it's all the Zoom meetings today, <laughs> truly. Honestly, like, Zoom meetings just, like, turn your brain just... to just pudding. It's, like, dripping out of my, out of my nose right now. Um... Yeah. What do I keep learning? I mean, I think that I'm with core playwrights, I'm trying to keep it adaptable to based on like what's going to be helpful for playwrights. Um, and like what was helpful for last year's playwrights is not going to be the same necessarily as what's helpful for this year's cohort. So um, trying to, I also like, I'm trying to keep in mind like when is this like, a process-driven thing and one is a product-driven thing and I don't yes. say that with value judgment because sometimes yeah. like I want to showcase this person as like a playwright and in that instance their play is a product but also that person is the product you know what I mean so like that's not a bad thing but sometimes like a playwright's not in a place where they're ready to be to, to make themselves a product so like how do I shift what I'm doing to make it helpful for them because again otherwise like like core playwrights is about these playwrights and like yes inter it's like important f for interact and like it's one of interact's things to have this like grounding in the local community but it's also at the end of the day for these four people so what do i so like it's really been about me like trying to break the typical mold that i have in order to um allow for space to adapt to what these playwrights might need um there's like this psychological thing called functional fix fixedness where like you get so used to seeing something done one way that you can't imagine it being done different, like having another purpose. Um, and so I'm trying to like uh, relax the functional fixedness of like what the structure of core playwrights has been so that there could be more room for each individual playwright's needs. Yeah. Um, yeah. The idea of storytelling of process versus product is really interesting too and I wonder 
how often readings are one or the other, if they are more often one than the other. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the questions I have. I mean, I think it's almost always very helpful to like hear your play out loud in front of people. Like that's what theater is. It's not reading it on a page. It's like hearing it out loud and seeing how people who don't give a shit about you react. Um, but like, it is also like, um, could you get this from, could you get this without a public setting per se? Like, could you get this around a table and then just like sit with those trusted people and talk about it instead of like inviting in an audience and like gauging what they think through mind reading, um, and then leaving. So like, what is the role of a reading? Is it to just be like, hello, my play is in a really good place. Please produce it. Is it to like, I need to test it in front of you people. Or is it like, I feel like I have to do this or people won't know who I am. And so like, what and not to be like value judging on any of those things but like what stage of that is going to be helpful for your project at this time Mm -hmm. i think those are really good questions to bring up and important questions you've helped produce a lot of things and produced a lot of things how have the budgets and scaled varied especially in terms of reading have like from zero budget to x yeah, I mean, zero budget was definitely Junapalooza. Like, that was all, like, because we, we were essentially presenting these works, so we weren't, like, putting money towards, like, the individual events that happened in terms of producing. But, like, the time capital was a lot higher because it was, like, a lot of coordination and a lot of, like, a lot of, like, uh, time spent, like, putting the word out there and making sure everyone was on the same page. If you are producing art for the first time, challenge yourself to reflect on the amount of time you are willing to commit to a project. Are you okay dedicating 5, 10, 20 hours a week? Do you want to work on this project daily? How can you create boundaries to protect your emotional and financial health? Time capital can accrue quickly and burn you out fast. If you are working with collaborators, these questions are especially important. You are allowed to and should set expectations together. Um, With something like Court Playwrights that's like a little bit in the middle, um, it's like not an exorbitantly hugely huge reading series like it's only one event and it's eight hours of rehearsal so it's not a ton of money going toward it but there is a little bit um and so like and because it's affiliated directly with like interact is producing these things there's like a little bit of a higher caliber of like organization and uh and like uh cultivation that goes into that um and then the highest tier obviously is like a full production like the brownings was um something that i produced and like that was a even even still, that wasn't like a huge budget because Order Three was is not a multi million dollar company. But like that was like ah, there are six digits in this uh, in this production budget. Here we go. Um, and that because that was like a full production of a play that was like um, that's been beloved by the Philly community for a while. That was Sam's like passion project, and that was like the penultimate production that Orbit 3 ever did like that was like this has to be really fucking good especially because whenever something an experiment like Orbit 3 happens like there's so much pressure for everything to be like just so high caliber so that there's no room to be like ah well that didn't work you know what I mean oh yeah also for my fangirl self just to back up a bit will you talk a little bit (laughs) about your Orbiter 3 journey and the different roles you played with and where you landed yeah yeah I mean with Orbiter 3 I started out just being like literally tell me to do anything and I'll do it um 
ultimately like I fell into a few different roles. One was just like Mora. There are things. There's a way that you have to like be among the playwrights that you don't have to be around me, so you can be. I can be that person for you. Um, I also like did a little bit with grant writing. I did a lot with like organizing how they did their ticketing in front of house, um, particularly because they had to negotiate memberships, but they also had to negotiate with like each community partner that they or like producing partner that they engaged because、um, everyone had different ticketing options. Um, I like sort of became like the logistical catch-all. Like I tried to like be the person that was like, well, what about this? What about this? Like, do we have this idea for fundraising?、Um, that was all culminating to being a lead producer, which I did on the Brownings. Like that was like the thing that I produced、um, on my own. Actually, first it was Breathe Smoke. Sorry, Breathe Smoke at Painted Bride is the first thing that I produced on my own because Mara was directing.、Um, And so that and the Brownings were both ones that I produced on my own.、Um, after like three productions of sort of shadowing Mora and taking on more and more responsibility and like becoming more and more ingratiated with the playwrights. Oh, and a lot of it was, in addition to like picking up skills, a lot of it was just like moving from like sitting quietly in the corner at Orbiter Three meetings, being like, "I can't believe I'm here, I don't deserve this," to being like, "Oh no, wait, you're all people, and I'm a person, and we all have the same goals, so let's fucking go," you know, like. It's such a weird like to be like oh my god James Ames and Mary Twomanin are right there oh my god Emma Goodell and Emily Acker and Doug Williams are right there oh my god Maura Krause is talking to me what do I do like and then being like oh wait you're all human beings it's okay <laughs> it's、oh、gonna be fine、gosh. yeah it was so often just like I can't believe I'm here and then after working a little bit you're like oh wait like everyone can't believe they're here slash you know what I mean like we're not to be like we're on the same playing field because obviously James Ames is not the same as the person who's graduating tomorrow but like <laughs>、um, like everyone is just like a weird human being that decided to do this like weird field and so like we're all in this together in a way yeah、uh, um you've Produced full productions. You produced readings, and my guess is a lot of a number of things in between, or things that live in between. What do you feel like are the benefits of producing a reading or a staged reading? Yeah, I mean, I guess it depends on like what you see yourself and how you see yourself as like contributing to the to to this thing. So like, the reason I didn't want to do. Like I didn't want to do theater initially in high school as like a performer or as tech is because I didn't want to be in those roles. I didn't want to actually be on stage in the spotlight all the time, in spite of my joke from earlier. And like I didn't want to be in this like more mechanical role because I'm not good at it. So like when you're a producer, what you're doing is like.、Um, You're making art without people necessarily ever acknowledging that you're going to do it, and so it's a good exercise in. First of all, it's a good exercise of big picture thinking, and in like seeing all of the pieces that make art come together、um, for a reading in a relatively low consequence scale.、Um, but it's also a good consequence, I think, in like tempering your own.、Um, Ego, <laughs> like I, I, I think people sometimes think of like one of the like stereotypes of theater is like there's an auteur who controls everything and like everything is under their eye. But like in real life, that's actually not what theater necessarily is. Like yes, the director like is sculpting this vision, but everyone is making it together. So like. Um, producing is a way is a good way of being like of navigating that like I'm in control, but also like I'm sculpt I'm helping somebody else right now. It's both like I have power and agency, but also like this isn't about me. It's about this other thing. So it's a it's it's kind of a 
another side of directing, but it's also a way of being like, what does it mean to make this project that people won't think of me as having made it? Um, which feels like a weird, shitty way to say that, but is like, I think incredibly, it's, it's humanizing for everyone around, for everyone. Like, if you're an artist that's never produced before and then you produce, suddenly you're like, oh, wait, now I understand why these artistic directors make decisions that I don't understand. Like, or why someone made this decision that I didn't agree with. Like, there's more than this to this than I thought. Um, what kind of work in general do you find yourself drawn to producing? new plays forever like no shade to classics like no shade to shakespeare chekhov ibsen all of that um i enjoy those things i just don't necessarily want to produce them i'm interested in the challenges of like of a living document of a live experience of like the liveness of new work so i'm really into those um i haven't done as much like event producing recently i've done a lot more readings um but like the um, with readings in particular, having that challenge of like, okay, so this isn't a staged production. Like, um, how do I like try to mimic the experience you would have going to a play with this reading so people can see the possibilities that exist here and that will best serve how this play could eventually translate into a real production? Yeah. Yeah. Just out of curiosity, are there any um, abnormal spaces you've ended up producing in? Well, both the things I ended up producing in were, uh, both things I ended up producing in with Orbiter 3 were performance spaces. Um, think about that. The closest I would say is when I worked with Kitson O'Neill on producing, um, Winter's, the, the Winter's Tale for, um, Clark Park. Obviously that's a park, but there's a lot about that that was, like, a well-oiled machine. So, although there were idiosyncrasies, there were a lot of idiosyncrasies, like, we're trying to do this play while someone's playing frisbee in the background. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um... Yeah, I once did a show as a dramaturg, but also because a dramaturg is everyone's therapist, sort of like helping to produce, um, in, at a CSA, like, or not a CSA, but at like a community garden. We did like a device show there. Um, so that was unusual and a lot of things to negotiate, but, um, I, yeah, that's probably the strangest one. Very boring. Sorry. No, <laughs> I was just curious uh, in terms of like, and I don't know if there's an answer, but like recommendations of spaces to explore for readings or performances in general, and if some place is a, a easier, better place to start than than others. Yeah, I mean, I think it depends on what the goals of the of the reading are. Like, if you're interested at all in doing like a community immersive like sort of development thing, like you can contact libraries or um, even churches if you have a relationship to that. Like they. You know, they are people that have a constituency that they're often looking for programming to fill. Um, not that they're, like, desperate, but, like, they're good people to to reach out to to see, like, if that's an option. Um, if you have, like, a local community center, like, or that, that can be a good place as well. Um, yeah, like, the, the really hyper, like, the community garden was, like, a hyper-specific type of partnership. Um, that was very cool, but, like, required a lot of negotiation because you're, they, we were dealing with, like, live fruit. <laughs> like, they were, like, we were taking people through the garden, so we had to be careful. Um, but, yeah, like, um, I mean, if you're, if you're just looking to, like, put up some, put up some chairs and music stands, like, um, coffee shops, uh, at like towards their off hours can be helpful. Um, but yeah, like I would say probably libraries and community centers or like be like, hello, can I use the lobby of your theater? Like, um, on an off peer on an off performance time. 
Those are those are great recommendations. I um I mean one thing, uh, and you probably know this, but I think it's just so cool that Interact and a number of other companies work together to share a space. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, it's it's been inter- it's an interesting model because it's because like often when you think of a venue, it's either like a venue and no one is like a specific artistic voice in that, or it's like this space owns this venue and they control everything. So like. It's been interesting over the past like five to six-ish years to like navigate the like, um, we're both a producing entity, but we're also a venue. So like, how do we like share these things without losing our own branding, but also like promoting this one shared vision? Yeah. You've already spoken to this a little bit, but um, to to circle back, um, how do you feel like producing has impacted the other artist brains you you practice? Um, I think with the way that it's my dramaturg brain and my producer brain, I think are very similar um, because like the producer brain comes into my dramaturgy when I'm like, okay, well, I see that you have this magical moment. Like, how do you playwright want this to be seen on stage? Not like you have to know how to design a set or anything, but like if a theater does this, they'll have to realize this physically. So like, what are the things that are important to you to happen physically? You know, um, mm-hmm. so like that's how my producer brain kind of like informs dramaturgy in that way is like reading a play and being like, okay, well, is this like magic fluffery that like someone couldn't actually do? Or is this theatrical? Is this theatrical or is this television? Like if I'm thinking about how I would logistically make this happen. Uh, do you have any final thoughts or advice to offer folks who might be interested in producing for the first time? Uh, um, readings, reading specifically, not like reading, life. reading specifically. Yeah, <laughs> like go make a go make a movie. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think the first time you start out, you want to start out with a trusted group of collaborators. You're like I said, like your greatest allies are going to be your your peers, the people that you're coming up with. So like, if you want to try doing a reading, like I bet that you have a friend that's like written something and I bet that you have a friend that would want to direct it. And so like you three can become not just like, let's try this thing together, but you can become each other's advocates as you move forward. Um, I think particularly of uh, Paige Zubel, one of our core playwrights um, is doing a festival that you may know of right now, uh, the Going Viral Festival that's like, Four, four digital play readings a week with um, her close friend, Seamus, Seamus McCarty and Elle Safer. Episode four of No Small Parts features Seamus McCarty. Uh, a director, a stage manager, and then Paige is a playwright. So like they have formed this kind of cohort to become, to like, to, to produce these events. So uh, I would say the first time you do it, do it with people that you know <laughs> and that you trust uh, so that if you're learning the, vi- so that you have a, some stability as you're learning the variables of communicating with people. And like, once you build like a trust with that and with yourself and with your collaborators, you can go from there. Thank you so much for speaking with me this evening. It's really been a sure. joy to hear about all of the different things you've Gee, landed thank- with. Thanks. Thanks for inviting me. It's always like, um, uh, when you reach out to me, I was like, oh, I'm like a person? Me? That's me? Um, so thank you for uh, giving me a boost of uh, optimism at this time. <laughs> oh my gosh. No, not at all. It's still on the other side of it. I was like, take a deep breath. Here you go. Send the email. <laughs> Three, two, one, go. Oh, yeah. Another, another thing is just to be like... Um, don't be afraid to send the email. 
Um, more likely than not, people are not annoyed with you. Um, and like, you need to say what you need to say. So like, just reach out, like, just do it. Uh, the worst that can happen is someone says no, which they, which, you know what I mean? Like, the, the, the thing that I sometimes say, especially to players who are like, should I submit? Is I'm like, the worst thing that can happen if you submit is that you get rejected and you already weren't in it. So like, that's literally the worst, like literally nothing changes for you. The worst thing that can happen is nothing changes. The best thing that can happen is they get back to you or you get it. So just do it. You know what I mean? Like, what's the worst that can happen? Nothing changes. Fine. Nothing already has changed. I feel that so deeply right now. <laughs> That was Aaron Washburn. I am Brittany Brewer. This is No Small Parts. Thank you for listening. For more No Small Parts, visit our website at www.nosmallpartspodcast.com.